Blade Runner and its sequel, Blade Runner 2049, have moved from beyond just a theatrical experience. These films have now entered the modern zeitgeist as the pinnacle of science fiction achievement. Conversely, the mere fact these films exist is a testament to the love and devotion of Philip K. Dick, Hampton Fancher, Ridley Scott, and the hosts of artists and creators who showed us that the impossible was possible in 1982. 35 years later, the impossible would happen again. In 2017, Blade Runner 2049 was birthed and released into the world. The unthinkable became a reality. Like a delicate symphony, Hampton Fancher, Ridley Scott, and Michael Green would set the groundwork for what would truly be a miracle. Blade Runner 2049 delivered on its promise, guided by none other than master director Denis Villeneuve and a studio behind him that wanted nothing more than to ensure their miracle child had the best possible chance in the world. That studio is Alcon Entertainment. Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, was recently given the opportunity to speak with George Collins, president of Alcon Interactive Group. Do you like our owl? How many questions does it usually take to spot? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30, cross-referenced. Fiery the angels fell. Deep thunder rolled around their shores, burning with the fires of Orc. Your new models are happy scraping the shit. Because you've never seen a miracle. You imagined it was you. Oh, you did. You did. We all wish it was us. That's why we believe. All the best memories are hers. Welcome to Shoal of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Patrick Green, Dan Ferlito. Today, we are joined by guest George Collins, who is the president of Alcon Interactive Group. This has been a, an interview that we've been pursuing for a while as we've pursued a connection with Alcon. Alcon is, of course, the owners of the Blade Runner IP. They are responsible for, of course, the production and release in part with Warner Brothers of Blade Runner 2049. Thank you, George, for coming on the show. We're really honored to have you here today. Oh, great. Thank you. It's um, really great to meet you guys in person. I've been hearing you for a while, and um, it's exciting to be here. Absolutely. Uh, I think that we should just jump right in. And uh, before we get into what is obviously going to be a Blade Runner conversation, I would love to know how, what was your journey to Alcon? You've been there since 2016. Yeah. Where, oh, what, no, what led you to that? 2017. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 2017 actually. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I've been in uh, the game business a long time. I think, like, I was thinking about that when you the journey, and I would say honestly, it started like probably at like a Star Trek convention, where as a little <laughs> kid, I saw like a board game for the first time, and I, you know, bought <laughs> bought a board game. It was like a Steve Jackson board game, and that got me really interested in board games. 
And then, you know, I loved computers just because I like, you know, computer games, like a lot of people. Um, and then, uh, you know, went to school to study science, actually, honestly, and, and worked in a, a neurophysiology lab and did like functional brain mapping. And I didn't had no idea that uh, games could actually be like a like a career. But I guess I was getting some knowledge of computer graphics and um, I just I really didn't like doing scientific research. So what happened was um, I uh, really wanted to move to L.A. because my girlfriend was there and I sort of was on a track where I said, I guess I'll go get a Ph.D. But what I did instead was I went and got a, a business an MBA and um, at the business school I went to actually Activision young Activision which was only had you know a few dozen employees at that point like they were putting up signs recruiting people it's really funny to imagine now that <laughs> they were like putting up signs saying would you like to work for Activision and, and hardly anyone wanted to work for Activision and I was like I love video games and I had no idea that that could be a job and so I worked for Activision and I, I worked for Activision you know starting in the mid 90s uh I you know, did the kind of basic game things like localizing games, producing games, uh, became a game designer. Um, I was lucky to help start uh, what ultimately became the biggest game studio in Los Angeles, Pandemic Studios. Also started an, another game studio in Brentwood called Seven Studios. And then, you know, worked for a long time in like publishing for, for THQ and then Disney and a company not many people know, but it's actually really successful Scopely. So I basically had done console games, PC games, mobile games, and I had this kind of diverse background. Now, while I was doing this, uh, Dan Offner and Scott Parrish, two guys that work for Alcon, uh, they started forming an interactive group, particularly because Blade Runner was really clear to them that Blade Runner was, you know, a really good property for them in terms of like uh, video games. I think they sort of started getting interest but they weren't you know in terms of like handling it and running things like they needed someone who had a lot of experience and i guess you know i had experience <laughs> and so they certainly do consultant. yeah and and yeah i mean it's yeah and and i have loved it honestly it's a really it's a fabulous company i love alcon i think it's a really really neat company it's really interesting if you're curious about it i'd love to tell you about it because it's i think it's super fascinating um anyway so they brought me on to just to help out especially with like particularly blade runner uh, we're always doing a lot of stuff with Blade Runner, but we've expanded. We've, we've gone into other projects and, and investing in games and doing things like that. So we've been growing it too. In addition to working on Blade Runner, we have a, a bunch of cool things coming out for Blade Runner as well. There are a lot of people who maybe they they might love a certain IP, but they sure. don't know who, who might not who might own the IP. Were you sure. familiar? I'm sure you probably were, that oh. Alcon was the owner of Blade Runner? Okay. I didn't know. Honestly, I knew, I, to be honest with you, I knew nothing about Alcon, just to be honest. I'd never heard of it uh, when they called me up, okay? I thought I was a real expert on Blade Runner, to be honest with you. And it's funny, because listening to your podcast, I would go, oh, you know, I normally think, oh, I know so much more about that than, you know, I could tell you about all the little details. And, um, you guys are obviously incredible experts. You know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> your fandom raises it to another level. But obviously when I met uh, the CEOs, uh, Andrew Kosov and Brad Johnson, they asked me a lot about Blade Runner. And, and I had seen, you know, all the different cuts of the, of the movie. Uh, you know, I've read a lot of Philip K. Dick, including obviously to Android Stream of Electric Sheep. But I've read, you know, I've read a ton of science fiction. I mean, I did just as a kid, you know, that was sort of my background. Mm -hmm. And I think those are like kind of requirements. Like you have to, you have to kind of really love this stuff to uh, immerse yourself this deeply in it, you know? So, so yeah, I definitely had a, a huge passion for Blade Runner. And I, I mean, I don't want to say I had a lot of knowledge of it, but 
you know, I guess I probably did relative to some people. I want to give a little historical context for a moment for, for our listeners who yeah. might not might not know why it's such a big deal that you work for Activision when there were signs outside. Is there there a Fortune 500 company? Oh yeah, who published <laughs> some of the big the biggest video games <laughs> yeah, in the right. world. So right. it is it is mind blowing <laughs> to think that there was a time when they were just like hiring whoever could you know show yeah. up. Yeah, no, That's no, it's incredible. It's so funny because the the career arcs of those. I mean, because because also like to be honest with you, uh, the, in the game industry, like you're a veteran if you've been doing it for like five years, right? I mean, mm-hmm. or maybe six or seven, right? And I've honestly. I mean, I hate to say how old I am, but it's like uh, 26 years now. And um, I think like the people that run like the Call of Duty franchise, like one of them, I think like I hired as my production coordinator. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, like it's really bad. It's like, it's not that like there are people I know that have come up and run companies that were testers when I met them. It's like now those people are all retiring. And now it's like, I have to make a new, but it's, yeah, it, I mean, obviously it, it blew up like crazy. And it's, it was really, it's, it's sort of one of those things where you're just in the right place at the right time and really lucky to be somewhere when something's blowing up. It worked out really well for me, for sure. So I'm, I, and it was an incredibly exciting time because uh, games have become, I mean, they've become a huge business, but also people so much more now have an idea what they're trying to do. And, and how things work. And when we were doing it, we had no idea. I mean, we made the dumbest mistakes. We had, you know, we were just, but you know, like bumper cars bouncing against every wall, trying to figure things out. And um, I lived through that. And, and uh, it's funny to think about all the dumb things we did. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so Alcon calls you for, Mm-hmm. Or there's a you yeah. know you're you're interviewing yeah. with them. Right. What's your first day like there? What are you? What do they put you to work with on your first day? What are you doing? Uh, well, I had you know it was it was strange because and this has always been the the way it is there is that they they are a, a media company right and they have uh, they began as a film finance company right um, and then they sort of uh, built up I think they've next built up a, a music publishing business you know and the, and the idea is that they build up different. Um, different media businesses, which has been really smart and they control IP and they, and they nurture it, which I think is, it's a wonderful thing for Blade Runner because they're so protective of it and they're so committed to developing it. It's great, but, but they're all these individual silos. So there was like a part of the building where they were like literally like recording music and doing music deals. There's a part of the building where they're, um, you know, uh, producing, developing scripts, producing movies, working on producing movies. And I'm the person that's handling their game business. And I think not many people really understood what I did or what I was doing there. And, um, and also I came in when they had already like done a few deals. So there were already some things in place that had been set up uh, by people that were really kind of just to be honest, I mean, great people that I really respect, but more kind of like, um, like lawyers and, and finance people had set up these deals, but they were like, Oh, what is this going to be? Well, it sounds great. You know, we're, you know, we had a deal with um, Facebook Oculus. We had a deal with Google. Uh, we had a deal with a, a, a European mobile developer, but, but there wasn't really a lot of thought put into what that was going to be or how that was going to work out and um, how to sort of pull that together. And then I think really the thing that was, really dramatic for me and really scary was i don't know if you guys had a chance to go to the comic-con activation we had ahead of the launch of blade runner i don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it but it was it was this crazy Lollapalooza. you know i've never seen anything like it in my career and uh we were we were developing some vr this is like kind of early days of vr 
And somebody had this idea like, oh, well, we're going to have thousands of people coming. And what we'll do is we'll give these people like a VR experience before they um, go to this party with booze and food and dancing and crazy things. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so scared. People are going to get sick. I mean, I've made games people didn't like, but I was really scared I was going to make this game that would make people physically ill. Mm-hmm. And it was the most scary experience of my life. It was really, really nerve wracking, but it, it turned out really well. It was really actually super duper cool. But the, but the key was, because what we did was we made this thing where it was sort of like simulating flying around in a spinner through uh, the Los Angeles, not the Los Angeles of 2019, but the Los Angeles of 2049, you know, that it's a wall you know, the mm-hmm. walls building, um, and, you know, which was great. And you're in the cockpit and you're flying and, you know, with a little lightly interactive, we had some of the UX respond to what you did. And we did this on headsets. And we, the way it worked was we had people, um, you know, we had about 30 people at a time put on all these headsets. They were in like a theater, basically. Okay. And um, they put on these headsets, have this like three or four minute experience of flying around, talking some of the character things that we developed. And um, then what would happen is at the end of the experience, the, the spinner that you're in would come crashing down in the middle of BB's bar, you know, from the 2049 movie, right? And what would happen is while these people were having this experience, there was a secret wall that would come up and the actual crash spinner, the real, the model that they used, the practical effect model that they used in the, in the show, in the movie, um, was in front of them. There were actors and there was like a scene with policemen, wow. people in costume. And then you would go past it and there was BB's bar. And it was it was really fantastical. But the, the thing that I did, that this is, this is going to sound really super nerdy. I was like proud of it. I mean, the whole thing was amazing. I mean, it's like like hats off to Alcon, Giant Spoon. It was, it was an amazing event. But I was really nervous because people do really honestly get nauseous sometimes, especially people have never done VR before. Mm-hmm. And this was VR with motion. And so I was desperately casting about for something that would make this work well. And um, so what I found was there was a company in Canada that made uh, theater seats with servos underneath them. And we found a way to coordinate the servo motion with the, with the activity of the game so that as the, the Blade Runner would bank, the seat would bank just slightly, but enough that it would give you the real physical sensation that would follow like the VR, okay? Wow. And, and that was, I think, one of the first times, I mean, I think that had been tried before, but it's definitely, I mean, that was almost to almost 10,000 people. No one had ever done anything like that before. And everybody had a good experience. No one experienced nausea. It was like, it was really cool. And I was, I was so proud of it because I was so scared and it was, it was fantastic. I mean, the whole event was fantastic. I just had one small piece of it, but that my piece of it, I was so proud of. It was like, one of the most exciting things because you know usually when you work in games it's fun it's exciting when somebody says they played your game but you almost never get to see someone you know playing your game and saying oh i played your game it was cool so that was just a super experience and that was that was around the time yeah then at that point i was hooked i was going to be an alcon employee (laughs) it was a great experience honestly that sounds incredible it reminds me of uh i I haven't actually played a vr game yet um yeah but other than like early stuff in the nineties sure, where they sure. do polygonal stuff oh, and yeah, you would yeah. have a headset. Right. I right. was actually in Italy in the early nineties, but I remember still being blown away just by the fact that you could yeah. navigate with one thing and turn your head the other way and the image would change. But right. what you're talking about with the combination of the physical um, yeah. things that were set up, it almost reminds me of like we've talked, Jamie's talked to the secret cinema 
guys. And it sounds like a setup like that where you're blending the VR with reality and actors and all that, which yeah. sounds just like an incredible experience. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, I, I understand. It's like one of those things people know very little about what we've done in terms of VR. It's like, it's not at all uncommon for people not to have tried the, the VR experiences we've created for Blade Runner. Um, but it's, it's I, the way I would explain it is that the set of people that love VR and, and really cool graphics technology and the set of people who love Blade Runner really strongly overlap. So everyone that's doing VR at some point or another, they really, really badly want to do something set in the world of Blade Runner. So we've had a lot of, of people that have wanted in different ways for us to, to work on Blade Runner. I've always been kind of disappointed because I feel like it just, it's, it's not good in terms of reaching fans because just for different reasons, like VR just, just hasn't reached a lot of people. Um, we did a few things with Facebook, which were pretty cool, but they were like very early consumer headsets. They were not that, you know, I just, I think the technology was kind of premature. And we did a project with Google that actually was really, really kind of amazing, really pretty good in terms of as a game and also graphically um, much better, like on a headset that was basically more like, a, I don't know if your Quest 2 is like probably close to the state of the art of a mobile headset right now. Um, but literally Google funded this project to make a VR game for Blade Runner. And then like the, you know, within a few weeks, they canceled all VR. So like you, there was a, like maybe a month where you could have uh, actually gotten the VR game that we made and um, played it, honestly. <laughs> it was about like, oh, wow. um, like that long. And um, I'm always trying to see if I can find like a home for that game. Cause I always feel like it's always sad when people work for a long time on a game and, and, uh, and, and not many people will really get to play it. That's like that happy games get abandoned all the time. It's always, it's always a tough thing. Um, but it's tricky because it's just, you have to find, um, you know, you have to find a market for VR that makes sense. Now that said, I, I do think that people, people are approaching sick end to VR. And uh, we made, one of the things I'm thinking about for the roadmap for future Blade Runner projects is we, I'm sure, I'm thinking we will probably try again to do another VR game, um, hopefully on a platform that has more consumer adoption. You know, because I think it's just there's something about the yeah, I know I know you guys did a podcast about the architecture of Blade Runner, which I was was fascinating by the way. Um, that those towering buildings, the noodle bar, just walking around the streets is just something people just they just love it, you know. And mm -hmm. um, it's it's always amazing. I mean, you know, like that's almost all you have to do is just create that world and not let people walk around in it and it makes people really, really happy. So, so I definitely want to go back to that. Besides, obviously, we do, you know, working on console PC games for Blade Runner. Are there, are there any, uh, you don't have to answer this, sure. but, but are, are there any plans for console games in the works? Oh, for yeah, this? for sure, for sure. We're, we originally, when we started, we were doing a narrative game, like, based on uh, work, working with Telltale games. I don't know if oh any of you guys God. are familiar with Telltale. But I love Telltale mm -hmm. games. I do too. I love Telltale yeah. games too, of course. So that was really exciting. They were, you know, obviously, obviously we always try to work with like the best people we can. And, um, you know, Telltale is excellent. They're kind of legendary, but they went into chapter 11. Okay. So uh, that game got started, but did not finish. And um, which is a huge disappointment for us. Um, now they've, Telltale is sort of reassembled, and um, I definitely would say we we would Alcon would work with them again. You know, we'd think about it, but but the project for Blade Runner just it couldn't happen because of their financial woes. Just to be honest, um, the way I look at it is 
uh, we want to do a Blade Runner game that is like sort of like a narrative adventure game. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Westwood Studios Blade Runner game from the 90s, but that's sort Mm -hmm. of like a, it's like a, it's very story rich. It's very uh, like an adventure, you know, it's, it's sort of almost a telling of a different Blade Runner story in the Blade Runner universe, but it's, it's, it's not like shooting. It's not, you know, which I think there's a huge demand for. And we actually have found a, a very excellent developer with great, that working on that is probably, you know, hasn't been announced, but it'll probably be, you know, one to two, a couple, we'll announce it probably in like a year and I'll be in a couple of years out to do it. And then we're talking to different people about doing a more, no, I would say action, but maybe like uh, maybe action RPG kind of of Blade Runner game. If you think about games, I don't know if Deus Ex or something like that. There's a mm-hmm, lot of interest mm-hmm. in doing that. It's just a tr- the thing is to find the right developer that would do a good job with it. Because I mean, you can't imagine how many people come and say they want to make a Blade Runner game. Because half the people <laughs> they're making a game that that's a copy of Blade Runner anyway, and then they come to you and they say like, "Look, we make a game," and you know, and you're like, mm, "That's a pretty lame copy of Blade Runner, honestly." You know. <laughs> so we're trying yeah. to find the right people, and then it's also like when the right people are available. And and one of the things I love about Alcon is they're very very long-term focused i mean i don't know how much you guys have uh, delved into that how the whole saga of getting blade runner 2049 made but they worked for years and years and years to bring together the parties to tie up the legal ends i mean it was a odyssey to get that the rights to be able to make that movie to pull it together and, and it took mm-hmm. them forever and there are so many projects that they work on and some that I'm really honestly, some of them I'm really excited to take years to pull all the talent together, pull, you know, get all the rights and, um, and they're patient. So it's like, you know, if I don't find the right developer to work on it this year, like we do it next year, you know, they understand, right? Because it, it's, it's, we're in it for the long term, essentially. And I know that um, Alcon owns the rights to The Expanse, which I'm a yes. huge, huge fan of. Yes, that's incredible yes. show, which is, of course, Love now it. on Amazon. And yes. uh, I know that that went through its own little journey as well, and it was saved. And it's it's one of the best sci-fi products I totally agree. On, totally agree. on television yes. today. Yes, I totally. I Yes, obviously, that's another very, very exciting part of my day is the expanse. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I got to meet Harrison Ford, which is, just, you know, wow, that was exciting. Um, but honestly, uh, Ty, Frank, and, and Daniel Abramoff, the guys that are, are um, S.A. Corey, like, I see, I get to see them actually fairly often. And they, like, every time I'm like, oh, I'm such a fanboy. Because <laughs> you know I, mean? I read, I read uh, not all the series, because all the series hadn't even been written when I started working Falcon, but I had read some of them before I came there. And uh, and I've obviously read all the books. I love the books. I uh, love the series. Um, that has been one of those things where when we started, there wasn't the kind of interest in it as a game that there was in Blade Runner, because Blade Runner is, is so iconic, it's so influential. People always want to work with Blade Runner, but Expanse, you know, it started out great, but it didn't have that kind of of heat, I would say. But over the years, as it's been, you know, developing and I think getting better and better, we've gotten more money for the show. You know, it looks better and better. Um, Obviously, there's people that love the Expanse and we do have plans for Expanse games that I think are going to be amazing. I mean, we have amazing developers that are going to work on the Expanse. It's again, it's the thing where to, to do like a lame game, you can do it pretty quickly, but that's not, that's not our world. We're doing like games that are like excellent. And I think games 
that um, the fans, especially of the expanse, because expanse is um, really core. I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, I, you may know this, but Ty and Daniel, like they started out as a game design. That's what it was before they wrote it. And they're fanatic gamers <laughs> and a lot of their fans are fanatic gamers. So it has to be like really good. It's like, it's just something they require. But it makes it fun for me because I'd much rather do that than something that people are not excited about. It's funny. There there seems to be a common thread when you start talking about Blade Runner projects in general. And yeah. we've been lucky enough to interview people involved in the production of the, the comics that are in the work that are, you know, have, yeah, they right, have been making now, yeah, yeah. which are awesome. Um, and 2049 and, right. you know, like Jamie's interview with Weta Workshop where they're oh, giving right. you oh. the details of not just how they made the models but the conceptual Uh, process behind trying to design something as if real tiny people were actually not just living in it but building those buildings and learning all the details of that always blew my mind but i notice a common thread here and the best things that they've made out of blade runner since the original film involve people that are passionate about it it's not just some money grab it's like well these people were either nerds or involved in the production or have grown up their whole lives with it like you yeah there has to be some hardship it always seems like either getting the rights or the the financial success is always mixed and it's like this amazing critical success and then it's like oh but we're going bankrupt or it's not making enough money or it didn't kill at the box office and then timing of course but it seems like that is just something that blade runner kind of can't escape (laughs) yeah no i i know it 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 falls into like the weird obsession zone and i definitely i feel like one of the things that uh again i don't i can't speak for i just want to be clear like i i am an employee of outcome but i'm not designated to speak for them and i'm not i didn't have anything to do with the making of 2049 just to be honest Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I got to see some of the process of making it, the late process of it. And it was so clear to me that they were just obsessed with trying to make sure they covered everything that people cared about. They weren't thinking about commercialism. They were thinking about making something that would honor the property. And I think that the the way they thought about it was, you know, the original movie, I, you probably know this, the original movie was not a box office success at all, right? It just was successful because it lived on so long. And that's exactly how I see 20. I think that's kind of how people are starting to see 2049 because everybody goes back to it and they go, oh, I mean, it's really good. You know, it's amazing. You can see it again. And, and I think that, I, I don't think that was exactly their intent, but I think they were thinking like, if we make something as good as the original, like it doesn't, all the other things are not going to matter. And that's always kind of the way they've thought about it and the way they've been, um, which I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, it's fun. I mean, it's, 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 it's always more fun to work with people who are passionate and I, I like it. I like it. I feel like the one thing that has really pained me was I, I, when I began listening, cause I hadn't been aware of your podcast till a few weeks ago, just to be honest. And I started listening to you guys and how you were reacting to the film as it was coming out. And it just pained me, just to be honest, it was painful because you had this wonderful experience of getting to see the film, you know, polished, beautiful, you know, and I had this experience of, you know, I had to kind of get in bits and pieces as it was coming in, you know, everybody was very closed and secretive about it. We would see, you know, kind of some shots, we'd see some performances, uh, you know, I got to read the script, you know, but it was a very, it was a long script and it was, uh, you know, there's so much that you, it's hard. I mean, it, it was great. You could tell it was a great script from reading it, but, but it just, 
it just was spoiled for me. <laughs> There's just no other way to say it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but by the time the premiere came out, I'm like, yeah, that seems like a good movie. But I just did not, it just did not hit me the way I think it would have hit me if I had just been able to be a fan and see the movie as a fan. So I was so jealous listening to you guys reacting to that <laughs> movie that came out. It just, it just pained me, honestly. It just made me feel bad, honestly. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to share that with you because it was like, it was such a strong feeling, you know? I was like, gosh, you know? Um, but yeah, and again, the wettest shots, I got to see the wettest shots, as, uh, not like it's being made, but, you know, like before they were put into the film and, you know, Weta is amazing. I mean, do you know, like they, they did things like, you know, the, the crashing of the Sepulveda seawall is like them like pouring sugar. I don't know if people have told you that before, but it's like, it's a practical effect. It looks like it's, it's some kind of water, but it's, you know, it was, I mean, maybe people told you that, but it's like uh, so many of the things that you see in uh, Blade Runner, obviously are practical effects. And there's amazing props. I mean, we've used the, the you know, now the the spinners are in the um, the Peterson Auto Museum, but we mm -hmm. use them a lot of times for events. Like we brought them to Oculus Connect, and um, yeah, obviously we used them at that at that Comic Con event um, activation. You know, there's just all these amazing props from the movie because you know they use a lot of practical effects, which is super cool. To your point of in terms of like interactive video game and mm -hmm. of course what comes to mind right away when we're talking about Blade Runner and the world of Blade Runner is uh, Cyberpunk 2077 and that's yeah, been, yeah, right, that sure. launch has been uh, mm -hmm. laborious to say the least. Yes, yes, um, yes, of course. But it's also based on a world that the original Blade Runner film and Ridley Scott created. They get right. their largely they get they get their aesthetics from that world um and yeah. then of course 2049 comes out and and of course 2020 happens and in light of pandemic year what's the film everyone's talking about blade Runner 2049 and i'm curious with the popularity of something like cyberpunk 2077 and i'm in the largest cyberpunk group sure. on facebook and oh, wow. i would say every other post references blade runner every, every yeah. other post um and i'm curious how that excitement for that game is influencing what you guys oh, will be doing yeah it's a really interesting question i would one thing to say too um again just this is me speaking for myself it's sometimes a little bit of a turnoff to me when people call blade runner cyberpunk uh one reason is because it kind of predates cyberpunk in a sense also um Sometimes when people say cyberpunk, they have this kind of idea of like, oh, it's like Johnny Mnemonic. I'm going to, you know, bolt my arm on and, you know, do my computer terminal. And if you look at Blade Runner, there is a real aversion to that kind of hard science fiction. I mean, there's, it's, it's a real tenet of the world that this is uh, kind of fantastical, kind of magical. I mean, they changed it from Android to Replicant for a reason. Like, and Android mm -hmm. is a thing. What's a replicant, right? And they don't tell you what a replicant. They go to a lot of trouble to not tell you what a replicant is, right? So, so sometimes when people think like, oh, it's going to be like again, uh, you know, a lot of times when we talk to younger people that like sort of know Blade Runner, but then you dig down and they get kind of confuse it with other uh, other kind of science fiction things, and you're like, no, no, you have to understand Blade Runner. You know, I mean, you guys, obviously, you guys really spent a lot of time in it there's something really special about it right it's really thought through it's really beautiful it's not cheesy or exploitive 
Um, and it's, so we kind of like, that's the kind of part of the cyberpunk thing where we're like, yeah, it's a little bit of a turnoff for us. Sometimes uh, the people I work with, they're not like, they're not like, they're not excited to be frankly associated with um, cyberpunk. I mean, we've had opportunities to somehow involve ourselves and, we, and I love GOG. I mean, they're a great company, uh, you know, all respect to what they do, but it's just, it's just, we don't, we're not interested in that kind of branding. Now, the thing that is kind of good about it though, honestly, is, uh, Blade Runner, uh, okay, not to sound business nerdy, Blade Runner skews really male and really older, okay? So especially uh, when I started, if you were gonna do the demographic of who likes Blade Runner, it's, it's, it's older men basically, and mostly older men in, in, in English speaking countries like parts of Europe or you know, England, Ireland, Australia, United States, um, Canada, you know, and um, not so much in Asia. And, um, Things like cyberpunk really have done a lot to raise awareness with, I think, a younger generation in that to make people kind of interested in it. And that honestly is helpful. It does, I mean, we have, maybe have some things coming out that will also maybe skew towards those. <laughs> and, that's, and that's very good for a video game because you, you want to you have as wide of an, you want to have older people, younger people, and, and uh, some of the interest in it, like it's, it's helped us. I mean, it means, it means that we're probably going to eventually reach a, like a much wider audience, which is what we want to do. Speaking of somebody who pre-ordered the special edition of Cyberpunk 2077 and played. <laughs> had, they mailed me a ginormous box. I mean, I mean, I wish I, I don't have it in my, they mailed me like a box of it, seriously, that was like, like two feet tall and. I mean, you know, they gave me the oh, nice collectors with the collector's, with, with the collector's edition pins yeah. and I don't know what I yeah, got, I got, I got the one got below the that, anyway, but, I'm, but I'm I, I, I blew because... a lot of money on it. And, and, and to be fair, I, mean, I, I did that because I wanted the experience of playing yeah. like sort of an action RPG Blade Runner game, like you're saying, but anybody right. who fires it up realizes, yeah, yeah, you know, course, beyond the glitches and the technical issues with it, that, that it's not that right, that, that it doesn't yeah. feel like a Blade Runner yeah. story. But there are yeah. two games that I want to just throw out there for yeah. you. We, this doesn't even have to be part of the episode, but yeah. just as a game expert, yeah, sure. that to me capture some of the experience sure. of Blade Runner that yeah. are relatively recent. And I just kind of want to throw them out and get your thoughts on them. One of them is Detroit Become Human. Yeah. And the other yeah. and the other is Observer, yeah, which was Rucker Howard's last voice performance, actually. Oh, you got to play that. I worked on Star Wars for a while, too. And like Star Wars, there's like these fabulous documents explaining what is Star Wars and what isn't Star Wars. And, you know, people have spent years and years thinking about what is and isn't and we're working that about blade runner but was that a pandemic with the battlefront games i wish <laughs> no <laughs> i left i i did battle zone which was um you know whatever yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, okay i made that game so um, awesome. but then i left to do go another studio and and honestly you know this is gonna sound really crazy but at the time i was really because we were talking to uh lucasarts at that time and and also talking to bioware and I was actually really not very excited about doing a Star Wars game after um, after Episode One in particular. I was like, "Oh, this is just doesn't—it's not. This is a real turnoff to me, to be honest with you." And then also mm -hmm. wasn't sure I wanted to do a license thing at that point in my career. Um, and uh, I was an idiot. I should have done that. I should have stuck with it. But <laughs> whatever. That's in retrospect. No, but the the uh, Star Wars game I did end up doing later, which is much worse, to be honest was um, a game called uh, Star Wars Commander, which was basically like Clash of Clans, but with Star Wars things. And the I did that game, at Disney. Right? Yeah, mobile game, did yeah. at Disney. And it, it was, uh, a lot of it was because I wanted to get experience doing mobile games because it's like my whole career, you know, when I started out, we were making CD-ROMs, right? 
uh, for PCs, and then it was PlayStation games, and then it's like Wii and the Switch, and you and there's just this constant like new kind of technology that you have to learn, right? Otherwise, you just you you become outdated, right? Like nobody wants you to know how to make a CD-ROM game anymore. Like it doesn't matter. Um, and so what I've always done is I always try to try to do the new thing. I did a couple of mobile games, including some really actually honestly some really successful mobile games. Um, and then I tried VR. Now VR doesn't seem like it's going somewhere, but that's kind of a, a, a pattern in my career where, you know, whenever there's a new kind of technology, you have to kind of jump to it and try it out. <laughs> now Observer, okay, I got it. I got it. I'm writing that down. I'm going to try that one out. I definitely, there's so many games and, and, I, but, and also Detroit Becomes Human, I think like, I, I get what you're saying, but, but to get back to the whole, how we think about Blade Runner, like another example is always given is the, um, you know, the, uh, the Esper machine where it sort of seems like it's breathing, you know, mm-hmm. and wh- what is going on there? <laughs> like, like there, is, there is a real, and, and Dan, Denis in his notes was like, there's a real thing of like, we're not, you know, we're not going to explain, you know, how the spinner takes off. You know what I mean? It's, that's just not the point, right? And that's really crucial to understanding why Blade Runner that was made so long ago, you can watch it today and it, it doesn't lose anything because it doesn't have like, oh, I'm going to use my LCD. You know, <laughs> like, it's not like that. It's, <laughs> it's very, you know, uh, you know, it's sort of technology as an idea or, you know, it's, it's really not even about technology. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's the thing, I think, with a lot of that kind of um, kind of gee whiz cyberpunk, that's kind of a turnoff for me in terms of when people pitch it. I'm, I'm, I'm more looking for people that get the, the spirit and the look, the look is actually, honestly, in games, the look is the most crucial thing, you know, which is actually surprisingly hard to capture. Because again, you get people who think like, oh, an- another thing happens when people really uh, gravitate towards cyberpunk is they sort of start doing this kind of neon pinball, which is like uh, not good at all. And if you think about it, you know, you look at the, the both movies, yes, there's this great use of light. Yeah, there's color, but it's not usually like, all different things juxtaposed it's especially roger deacon stuff usually it's one really overpowering hue and a sort of tone you know sets the mood but it's not like i'm in a pinball machine and people make that mm-hmm. in video games all the time and i think it's really cool and i don't know it doesn't do it for me to be honest yeah i i would say that in terms of like cyberpunk 2077 or the yeah. the world of cyberpunk as it relates to blade runner yeah. cyberpunk seems to have veered off into an aesthetic and yeah. augmentation whereas blade runner is really uh, a philosophical experience augmented yeah. by its aesthetics um right and they're two very very different things and uh, there is some confusion among younger people like well you know and i think also in terms of you don't want to live in a world where people are needing technology to live to breathe like that is not but it's also it looks really cool and i think blade runner thankfully also looks really cool it's a beautiful world but it's a very harsh world there 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 are interesting ideas that sort of clash um yeah as opposed to what people who love cyberpunk who they are as opposed to what blade runner is and really to your point they're very far apart yeah, I, and I mean, it is like, I'm like talking about these distinctions. They're not always super clear, to be honest with you. And, and one of the other things that really makes Blade Runner really challenging to work with is there are not always really clear interpretations of what the intent or the meaning of things are in Blade Runner. 
And um, having spent really a lot of time having to really dig into that, one of the things I feel like is kind of fundamental to it is that people that were making both pictures didn't always really agree on how things were working or what things meant. And the ambiguity is kind of central to what Blade Runner is. And it's part of what makes Blade Runner actually kind of excellent that, that it's, mm -hmm. there isn't like a right answer to a lot of questions mm -hmm. about Blade Runner. And there are a lot of things, especially in the first movie, I think honestly, that are just inherently self-contradictory. And, and when I, you know, cause in games you're always sort of building systems trying to explain worlds. And so you have these things like people go, well, gee, you know, in Philip K. Dick's book, the world's mostly over, you know, underpopulated people have all gone off to the, the outside worlds, but you know, and really Scott's movie, everything looks crowded. What's, what's that about? You know what I mean? And it's like, well, it's cause they're taking two kinds of influences. You know what I mean? They're taking a, the influence of a book and they're taking the influence of like, you know, I think in that, those kind of a lot of those shots like Mobius, right? They're taking a lot of his influence and, and they're kind of mashing it together and they didn't necessarily say, okay, here's how I'm gonna explain how on one hand, we're sort of taking this idea and on the other hand, we're taking that idea. They just sort of put them together and, and it's ambiguous and, and you, it's hard to like say, well, I know for sure this is the population of Los Angeles, you know? And, and those are the kind of questions when you make video games, people always wanna ask you like, how many people live in Los Angeles? What parts are still around? What parts aren't around? And, and mm -hmm. there's all kinds of contradictory information in both movies, to be honest. Um, that's well, what makes it really challenging, honestly. Yeah, and I, I, from what you're saying and trying to think about your perspective and what you've been working on, mm -hmm. and it's good, I'm glad you brought up Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep because sure. we're talking about something that's gone from Philip Dick's head yes. to paper to then Ridley Scott's world and film to then another film to then video games and then yeah. VR on top of right, that. Right, right. And with each medium change, there is a big difference there. For example, when you're talking about Roger Deakins and the, yeah. the lighting and the mood and all that, you don't get to turn a different direction from where they pointed the camera in the right. final edit of the yeah. film. Right. Right. You're along for the ride and you can look in a corner. You can pause a screen. If you have a good TV, get the fork, you zoom in. And we've done that. You know, we've zoomed sure. into the desk at the orphanage where we're like, look at all this stuff. What is it? What are all these details? We want to look at the props. But it's rare that in a film you get to do that. Yeah. It seems like one of the challenges of trying to do something more ethereal and more where there's more questions and answers in a video game is that inherently a video game is about you're choosing where you can go in that room yes. and you can pick up what you want and look at what you want. And you guys have to consider all of that because you, you don't know you, exactly. You want to know the rules. You want to know why things happen. You want to know, like, if you don't know whether someone's human or replicant, you want to know what button or what interface is going to tell you that someone is human or replicant. Do you know what I'm right. saying? Like, like, it's just kind of antithetical to games. But also, I think just in general, this is like a kind of common theme of my whole career is that you have to think hard about how you're going to take something that's uh you know in a medium and then take it to games because there's some things you can translate very faithfully and some things you just can't okay and um this comes up a lot uh we're we've been working for a while on developing like a mobile game for blade runner and mobile games are just a really particular kind of animal, you know, and, and they're not for everyone. Um, I've actually kind of come to really like them. I didn't initially, cause I was sort of felt they were like lesser versions of, of games I'd worked on before. But I think that mm -hmm. honestly, if you see like the, 
best games, some of the best games I'm making now for mobile, they're actually really kind of impressive. But there's there's certain tropes in those games that are are um, really difficult to take to a um, to a strongly narrative uh, property, right? Like like one of the things that's really common, particularly in mobile games, but a lot of types of games, fighters, for example, is that the characters are not like who the characters are in the narrative they're like almost more like dolls or toys okay so if you're making a star wars fighter or a star wars like you know arena battle game you might literally have something where darth vader or battlefront actually darth vader fights darth vader now there's no <laughs> logic there's no way you know mm-hmm. i've been the guy that has to go to kathleen kennedy and explain you know okay yeah well, i know we've got you know darth vader and he just he kills uh luke skywalker 10 times in our game and it goes on and on, and and but that's games. You got to let it happen. You know what I mean? And people look at it and they go, "What?" But I think I think honestly, when I started, that was the kind of those were the kind of conversations that were really difficult to have. But I think now people understand that um, sometimes some games are honestly about telling a story, not the story of the game, because nobody ever wants to play the story of K. Nobody wants to just relive the movie shot for shot that's just not what people want to do they want to live the story of another replicant or another blade runner right so and that's a certain kind of game and that game kind of tends to have more a logic that that people that come from film or television understand but also some games are about okay now it's you know we're gonna um we're at trash mesa and you know people are gonna fight the you know lapd is gonna clear out the replicants and we're gonna fight you know and that game doesn't necessarily follow the same narrative logic that could be the game where k the policeman or k the blade runner fights k the replicant rebel and you know you you just have to like explain people that that people if you do it right people can can still love the franchise and you're not cheapening the franchise i mean certainly every you know star trek star wars they've done it people love it It, it's okay you just have to just have to like let people know really clearly when you're bending the, the rules of the universe and and uh that does come up a lot and also sometimes bending the look because again i mean i'm saying all these things about what i think the look of of uh blade runner is and then you know you put it on a mobile device you know you have to you have to sort of think about well people could be playing on on a bus you know um mm-hmm. you you can't you can't be as dark you can't be sometimes as monochromatic as, as probably you'd want to you know to be faithful to the deacon <laughs> you know what I'm right. saying? it's a little different and you know but that's just that's just the kind of compromises i mean i think the key is you have to make those kind of compromises really seriously and you have to be really honest about them and you have to really you have to really explain you know you have to really think through and, and know why you're doing it. otherwise you run the risk of 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 not doing a good job with these projects you know you have to you know explain it and be vigilant too because a lot of times what happens is people you sort of give people a little leeway to sort of bend the rules and then they just go crazy and you're you're like no 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 i'm this is our property you have to be careful with it and that comes up all the time can i uh on that note yeah i know that when you were developing blade runner revelations you did Mm -hmm. what you're talking about to a degree right where you took a different angle on the story you followed a different a detective harper character right yes right so so i think many of our listeners are in the same crappy boat that your hosts tonight are in which is that we didn't play this thing i really wanted to really work i'm trying to find a way i i I don't want to get into the details but i've a couple times now tried to set up a deal honestly i don't they don't nobody has to pay us anything just to get people to take that game and port it 
uh, it's tricky. It's just, it's hard. But yes, anyway, yes. So you're saying the agent Harper, but, well, right? Until, right. until then, yes, until yes, that day, right, which, which right. my fingers will be crossed right, until then. Right, right. Um, can you take us a little bit through the story of Blade Runner Revelations and a little bit about what the process of that story was coming up with it, what the conversations were that led to it and what made the narrative uh, arc of that thing come together? Um, you know, I am going to have a hard time <laughs> to be really honest with you. I, I, I don't want to get into that story right now. Cause I think I would, I would worry that I would murder it. It's been a while since <laughs> I did that, but I could tell you that the process was that obviously we have, um, we have a team of people that, uh, uh, you know, that's sort of the creative, I say brain trust, you know, that at Alcon, uh, obviously we work with, um, Mark Green, um, not everything goes by uh, other people that obviously you, you would assume are associated with the franchise. I don't know if we've talked about who's going working on it going forward, but you know. Uh, but there's also uh, people like Carl Rogers, who is our creative director, who worked a lot on the script, worked with Hampton Fancher, uh, worked with Mark Green. Um, and we can go to him, we can uh, go to Broderick and uh, go to Andrew and, you know, ask, but we run everything past them. We say like, is this okay? Does this fit? Does this make sense? And if there's, if there's something we're really not sure about, we go to, um, we do go to like the writers of the original screenplay, just, you know, um, and ask them. But it's, it's not very common that something is, gets to that level of escalation. Usually we kind of, there's someone who knows. It's not me. I mean, just to be really clear, I mean, I apologize. I'm sort of like when I say, oh, uh, do I remember that story? That was three years ago. Um, <laughs> but, but um, and also like, I just hate, sometimes because I didn't make the thing, I hate butchering other people's work. That's another thing mm -hmm. I'm really, like, I was kind of nervous if you would ask me about, uh, Lou Castle's game because we do we do actually publish that game which is the original Blade Runner and I know I've known Lou Castle my whole career you know he's been around forever uh, and I don't want to talk about that game because he made it I can if you has, haven't interviewed him I can help you get him he's a great person to talk to and I hate I hate like pretending like I made something that I didn't you know what I mean like it's just it's just fake it doesn't it comes off really badly no, I definitely uh, definitely respect so. that yeah, no, mm -hmm. it's 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 one of those things, you know, like um because because the other thing is honestly, in my career, I uh I did start out doing just kind of simple things in game business, but then I became actually a game designer, which was actually really fun. Direct game director, creative director, whatever. Uh made a few games that I was hundred percent in charge of, right? Um, and those are my babies. I'm super proud of them. Um and then a lot of times later in my career, I'm like the I'm like the executive producer, or I'm sort of the person arranging the deal or proving the milestones, right? So I'm not I'm not the the person that had the creative vision for the game. And um, I, I remember what it was like when I was a designer of a game, or I came up with a story, and some random exec was talking about this game they made and it really bugged me to be honest so i really try to be careful about not not doing that so i'm sorry <laughs> like, like that, game okay. is, that game is pretty tough too because it, it does have a really good involved story and i just like i'm thinking can i remember all the names of the characters <laughs> right totally understandable don't worry here i have a i have a softball question for you sure. then that's like so it's not directly related but i think yeah. we can bring it back to this concept sure. so 
I don't even I don't think I have to ask, but I'm assuming you're familiar with Alien Isolation that they made at this point four or five years ago. Yeah, I'm familiar with it, but I to be honest, I've not played it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was gonna ask you what yeah. you thought about what they did with that IP, considering that it's really Scott, et cetera. But if you haven't played it, then No, I haven't played it, don't honestly know much about it, to be honest. It's it's it, so one of the things that's really difficult about games, another thing is that uh it's such a wide world, okay? Mm-hmm. And what happens is you work on a particular kind of game and you uh, just develop a lot of expertise about that kind of game. Like for a while at THQ, I was working on these like third person uh, action games. Like, uh, well, you know, we did um, uh, Space Mar- Warhammer Space Marine and mm-hmm. Red Faction, which are, you know, games I'm, I'm like really proud to have worked on. Um, and at that point, you could have asked me about any uh console shooter and i just would be I boy do i know him you know and then after that uh not a little while after that uh i was working on mobile games like uh like obviously the star wars game we discussed and yahtzee which actually i know it sounds kind of crazy but was phenomenally successful game um and boy asked me about casual mobile games i could just talk your ear <laughs> off about it now i think my knowledge of casual mobile games is going like that but so you tend to be like like you like obviously cyberpunk i'm very familiar with Detroit becomes human have to be you know what i'm saying i should actually now you give me one i have to check out but there's it's such a wide world it's really difficult to keep track of things that are are outside of it and um and also sometimes like i like alien a lot too um honestly i really like alien a lot mm-hmm. but i'm kind of like i i almost don't want to if you want to understand it's like it's sort of like it's not my team anymore like i i really enjoyed at least i enjoyed the most of the early episodes of um what was that uh the ridley scott uh tv show um, raised by wolves raised by wolves i thought that was amazing but i felt like it kind of for me it went a little out there maybe too far out there but we I agree also, i think yeah i just it just <laughs> was maybe one um leap of logic too many you know what i mean it was sort of like okay i can buy a couple things but but they and, and but there's also was there's this really strong sense for me and this sounds horrible i kind of didn't want it to be good or or another one altered carbon like i haven't even seen, i can't watch altered carbon i mean maybe it's great maybe it's terrible i can't watch it i just can't you know how I, I there's no way i could look at it and have a objective point of view just no way you know what I mean? And I might go back to it and love it. I might go back to it and hate it, but I just can't watch it, just to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds really crazy, but that's because you, you're so involved in what you're doing. That's the way I would say it. I don't know. I mean, do you, should, do you guys think I should go and watch Alter Carbon? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, I've seen, the fir- so. I've seen the first season, and honestly, yeah. I watched it for Joel Kinnaman because I'm a fan of his. Yeah, but sure. He's great. Much like Cyberpunk 2077, yeah. it's about... Blade Runner is not about the aesthetics. Blade Runner right. has, you know, the story is interwoven with the aesthetics. Altered Carbon is essentially really pretty drapes um, right. without really understanding why those drapes are there or why right. the world is the way it is. Obviously, right. the, the the writer of the book loves Blade Runner. It's a homage in his, in some ways, to Blade Runner. All of that is just visual. It's not really philosophical. To this conversation that we're having, I'm curious, as you are processing and working on the projects that you are in terms of games for Blade Runner, I want to know what's informing you. And there's a large, obviously, a fan base out there. There are sure. groups devoted to finding props or prop replicas to recreate yeah. 
Kay's kitchen or his home or Deckard's. You were talking earlier about, all of us were really talking earlier about, maybe it's a different story in a game. It's We're not going to follow Kay around and do his story again, but we're going to be right. in the same environment. And I know right. for the, the hardcore fans of Blade Runner, that environment feels like home to us. Right, um, right, So right. it's really, really precious and sacred. So I'm curious, as you research these games and as you work on them, what is informing you as to what's important? Are you are, how in contact with this is sort of uh, pr- might be problematic, but how much in contact with the fans are you as you proceed? Oh. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, always more than you might imagine, because uh, we think about like when I was talking about the cyberpunk, I just sort of, I, you know, obviously there's thought about like, well, how is that impacting people's awareness of Blade Runner and what do they know about Blade Runner, right? Um, I mean, just to be really honest, like I've been to, so for games I've worked on, I've been to focus groups about Blade Runner. And um, and the one of the things that was honestly really painful, which is one of the reasons why I had that kind of cyberpunk reaction is when you meet young people and they say oh yeah i remember blade runner i really liked it there was this dolphin and you know what i mean and they they had a brain <laughs> thing on it and you're like that's not blade runner <laughs> you know what i mean you want to call it that's not blade runner <laughs> you know what I mean? but but you have to understand that like this is the reality this is also true of star wars i've never worked on star trek i'd love to but like you people have this range of of knowledge of what the thing is that ranges from like i kind of know it's cool i remember something about it right to i'm friggin fanatic i could recite every line right and you got to think about both groups honestly right and and i used to think about that a lot for um for star wars it'd be like okay you you got to have like an x-wing you got to have darth vader you know even if it's like corny and it, it's been done a million times and you have nothing nothing to bring to that honestly maybe but it's sort of like you have fans right and they want they want a star wars experience and and then yeah there's the hardcore fans that don't care that you don't have these things in the game but there are people that you know that is just that's why they wanted to get it uh, something for star wars and i think for um blade runner you know it's it's two levels i mean they're sort of having the integrity that like the the intense fans really love and um but it's also like some of the the tropes that everyone you know the giant uh, atari logo you know the spinner the blaster the noir outfits or you know the sort of the, the really cool clothing um just the gestalt of the world that you know that you know like people that's people that can't even remember they couldn't tell you what the plot of either blade runner was but they've seen that and they remember that and they expect it so that's something we always think like you have to you have to go there so so it's kind of like at two levels it's a level of like what does what do people at a really surface superficial level know about it and think about it and what does it mean to them and then there's sort of at the deeper level what is really key for the fans to have and you see a lot of in both things like in 2049 where they think about like they cut co- they cover there's so many scenes that are homages to things that were in the original that are like just kind of what people expect to see from Blade Runner but then there's also like a lot of really deep lore that they build in there that I'm sure 95% of the people that saw the movie did not understand did not know that that character was like you know was did they know that Gaff was in the first movie you know I imagine a lot of people saw the movie didn't know that but all the people that really love it yeah, you have to do it for them, too. So you think about it on two levels, I guess is the way I'd say it. It seems like of all of the IPs that I can think of, mm-hmm. and I can think of a few, 
<laughs> that Blade Runner has maybe the most pressure on it from a yeah. creative perspective of anything yes. because I mean, for many reasons, one of which is like the incredibly deep, passionate fan base that we keep referring to, yeah. but also like there are so few other things out there to judge it against. And the things that you're judging it against are so monolithically great, right? Yeah. Like both right. movies are masterpieces. Yeah. The comics have been extraordinarily good. The original yeah, game is beloved by everybody that yeah. played it. Yes. Um, and that's kind of like it. I mean, the, the yeah. IP is no. so limited, right? So right. What is, that, what is that like? And is there a sense of that at, within Alcon? Is, is this something you no, guys it's horrible. With? It's, it I like? mean, I mean, to be honest with you, it's kind of in a way. It's, I mean, it's not. It's, I mean, look, it's the it's the challenge we took on, right? I mean, we. Uh, but it's it's you know uh, when people say, well, why is like Blade Runner, which is you know, like you said, there's really been two kind of major movies over a really long period of time neither of them were billion dollar box office movies why is this still so valuable why do people treasure this so much and it's like because nothing has been bad right it's like it's all been <laughs> really like this precious thing and yeah that honestly is really hard because you're also um you know it's 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 a commercial medium <laughs> to be honest with you you have to uh you have to think about doing things uh, that are are going to be effective. Like you, you might want to sell a Blade Runner. And, you know, I'm not involved in that, but like I'm just. And again, I'm only speaking for myself. But you want to maybe sell a Blade Runner T-shirt, right? But can you really make an amazing Blade Runner T-shirt? But you know, part of the thing is you have to do that kind of stuff, right? You know, um, and uh, yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And it's in. I mean, I'd say the two really most difficult things about it are that there is. Uh, to, like kind of uh, very high expectations right now, particularly. And the other thing that's really hard about it is the fact that it is uh, people love it and they have a real, they dive into it really hard, but they have really contradictory ideas about what it means and what's going on. It's like, like I, even I, when I was listening to you guys, sometimes I go, oh, no, no, you're totally wrong about that. You don't understand what that means. You don't understand what that was. And we honestly, <laughs> we have those arguments at Alcon. We're like, no, no, you don't understand. That's not how memory works, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's like, there's no, there's no resolving it. And it's really difficult as a game, to be honest, because you, you, you know, um, you have to figure out, you have to navigate some way to, to get through those things. In terms of games and interactive, and I know this is mm -hmm. something that's not released yet, but yeah. in terms of expectation, and the expectations are high, and mm -hmm. I remember as all three of us, I'm sure all four of us remember, um, before Blade Runner 2049 came out and when it was announced, a yep. collective groan like, oh, no, they're going to mess this up. Oh, no. And of course, <laughs> they didn't. It was a masterpiece. And then now we have a, what is it, a 13 episode, 22 minutes long anime that's coming out called Black Lotus. And what did pe what have people been doing? Oh, no. Now what are they going to do? Oh, no. Really? This, you know, and I'm curious how you guys, especially, okay, so, and I know you can probably... You can only talk about this as much as you can are allowed of course, to. Of course. But in terms of 2049, you have Denis Villeneuve, you have Michael Green, you have Hampton Fancher, you mm -hmm. have Roger Deakins. You have this really great team in place. So you know that the, or at least you know as much as you can, that the product yeah. that you're going to deliver is mm -hmm. going to probably be pretty solid. I mean, there's always the off chance, especially as it relates to Denis Villeneuve, who's never made a bad film. Like, oh, right. this could be this could be but, the one that by the way, was you problematic. Like, you guys like prisoners, right? You know that's an Alcon movie, right? Like that's they yes. basically that's true. Discovered, yeah. they discovered yeah. him basically. That's why they we have always yeah. had a very 
perhaps continuing close relationship with Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't speak to that, but perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but so to your question. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one of the things I'd be really curious is because you mentioned the anime, which obviously I, I can't uh, get into too much, but what do you think of the concerns that people have about the anime? Like, like what, 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 if, what do fans... What do you think fans worry about with the anime? Like, like you know, you say like, oh, it's going to ruin it. Like, what does that mean? I mean, is that like, won't be true to Blade Runner? Well, in terms of things that I, I hear from, I have to say, first off, by and large, what I hear is excitement from, from people. But when it's not excitement, um, I think people are a little skeptical that anime is a medium that can like really pull it off a little bit. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there's a sort it. of a little bit of a jarring idea because as you said, it's such a, a firmly embedded aesthetic experience. Yeah, right, right, right. So right, the idea right, of translating right. it into an animated one is something that I think right. people are struggling with. Also the fact that it's an episodic series, I think people are a little bit concerned potentially about that. Um, but I do have to say though, that the original short um, for the, uh, in the lead up to 2049 was very well received. Okay. Uh, and yeah, so I, I think people are looking back at that and thinking that if it, if it is like that, that it will go over well, which is of course good because it involves similar creative personnel. Yeah. Okay, good. I mean, that's, that's good. I mean, that's, I was curious because I didn't know what you guys impression of the anime. And again, I'm only, I'm only asking you this. I don't, don't worry. You're not going to hurt my feelings. So I'm, <laughs> I just care about it. I don't, I don't make it. I didn't write it. You know, like I'm not, not going to, but I'm just curious what people think. Cause I think about it a lot myself too, frankly. Um, well, I would say like the things, for the anime would be, um, you know, as much as I think it's even been said, you have to know that the, just the, the best talent that you could possibly get is involved because it's, again, it's kind of like uh, Denis and, and Blade Runner. It's like people love it. You know what I mean? And and so you get a lot of people that just want to do it out of passion, right? So there's a, there's, um, Blade Runner is not really that, what was not that well known, I think, honestly, in Japan. But a lot of the kind of, there's so much uh, Japanese, I guess I call it cyberpunk, I can say that, was really super influenced by Blade Runner. So a lot of the directors and writers, producers were really influenced by Blade Runner. So they mm -hmm. want to do Blade Runner just as a, as a labor of love. So, so I think the talent, like that hasn't been, all the talent hasn't been revealed, but I think when you find out who the talent is, you'd be very pleasantly surprised. It's excellent, excellent talent. Um, and then I think in terms of like the look, yeah, I think it, it, I'm guessing again, I can't say I'm guessing that it um, has some of the style of anime, but it may be something a little different than, than it's, it might not be, you know, anime, like, you know, the anime that you, uh, you think of when you think of nineties anime or something like that. Um, Pokemon. Think, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh no. I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, it's, it's so laborious and so expensive just to be, I know that part is, is really true. I care about that all the time. Um, it's fabulous. Right. And, um, so, so yeah, stylistically it has to be a little different, but it's, it might be not as jarring as, as you would imagine. I would guess if you liked the short, I can't imagine you're not going to like that. I mean, again, I, I'm no expert, but I can't imagine people aren't going to like it. So I'm, I have really, uh, high expectations for it. I think it'll, I think it'll be good. Um, it is different. And I think the other thing that's really interesting to me is, is the question about episodic, because, um, I think, you know, right now, if you're like a media company, right. And you're thinking about what you're going to do, um, with something that is, you know, a, a big universe, right. 
um, obviously what you used to do with universes, like look at Marvel, like what you used to do with the universe is you made these huge temple movies, right? What does that even mean right now? We're not sure. You know, I think, I think theatrical looks like it's going to come back. It's probably going to be very different. I think, you know, this, I mean, this is completely not my world, but I think that one of the things maybe that, you know, really big, um, television projects like, you know, Amazon's doing Lord of the Rings, um, you know, there's, uh, you know, obviously Game of Thrones, like, like to, to be really a big player, maybe like episodic television may really be the thing. And I think what people, you know, the, when I was growing up, the expectation was TV was dumb. TV typically was dumb. TV mm-hmm. had low production value, you know, poor actors, poor writers. Now, I think you might argue that, and I say TV, and again, that totally dates me. Like that's when I should be on that you know, commercial, old man commercial, but you know, whatever streamed, <laughs> streamed episodic content, right. Is like, honestly, maybe the, the real tentpole thing now. Right. Um, I mean, that's, that's to be seen, but I, I think, again, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's an open secret that we're working on uh, developing a series. And I, I, I'm don't know, but I would, I would guarantee you that the people that the talent that will be all in that series will be, you know, amazing talent. It'll be, um, you know, the people that we count on to give us great Blade Runner. Um, it should be very good. You know, again, I, I don't know much about where it's at, but they've been working out for a long time. I think what you're saying about episodic uh, television, quote unquote, we know what we're yeah. talking about with all the streaming. I think that statement would have been true two years ago. And yeah. now post COVID, it's yeah. that much more true. We've had all these right. theaters shut down. We've had people getting used to getting more subscription services and getting used to the episodic format and Mm -hmm. also arguing about, do you want to binge it? Do you want a full season the way Netflix does? Or do you just want a weekly release the way HBO does? So I think that's, these are conversations that fans and probably creators have all been having because 2020 changed the landscape so much. Right. I would say that if I was going to pull back a little bit and ask and and give the more general sort of um, not skepticism, but concern that I would yeah. have as a fan and that yeah. we had before 2049 came out. And I think when people hypothetically think about a third film, the mm-hmm. anime series, mm-hmm. a, a, a live action series, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that always comes back in my mind is are they going to answer questions that don't need to be answered? And (laughs) that was a big one before 2049. And we were all super pleased to see Denis Villeneuve take this approach of let's maintain the ambiguity and let's show you new things and connect them to older things, but not be black and white about answering questions. And I think that's probably a huge thing for fans of Blade Runner. Yeah. And honestly, just just putting my fan hat on. I think that's really always... A challenge because I sometimes even like I, I guess you guys are, are familiar with the comics maybe fans of the comics mm-hmm. I don't know but mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like oh oh you're showing that I don't know you're explaining that I don't know totally we should explain that you know I mean I like the comics but sometimes I wonder like are they you know I mean I, they're fine I mean they're, they're obviously really great award-winning beautiful comics but you're sitting there going oh they're really fleshing out lore and you do wonder sometimes if say someone were to make another Blade Runner movie, would they come back and, and, and make something that would not be consistent with that? Like we always are, you know, we always are in canon at the time we make a thing, 
But at the time you go back, that's like, I know that from experience. That's what happened with Star Wars at some point. Somebody said, okay, we're going to make another Star Wars movie and we're not going to pay attention to all the different novels because it's too hard, right? So so you, you are kind of always running this risk that you're creating something that somewhere along the line is not going to fit in canon. Now, I don't, that's not going to happen for a film or a, or, or a series. Um, but it's also like really hard to... Um, keep keep going without um explaining things maybe things people didn't want explained and i i don't know i don't have a great answer to that honestly um i think someone on was i may have even been on your podcast someone said this thing that i just love which was like the original blade runner is a small story in a big world right and i think that that is one of the things that's actually become one of my notes i'm always saying to the game people because when I have game developers come to me, they always want to go, okay, well, we're going to make our game. It's going to be solving this mystery and the mystery is going to explain to you where replicants come from and how they're made. And you're like, oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, people always want to do that, you know, like, or like the origins of Tyrell or, you know, something that, you know, I don't know, you know, please don't, right? Um, I just think I want to steer them to like, like the world of Blade Runner is kind of like the real world where you know, I don't know how this iPad in front of me works, right? I couldn't, you know what I mean? Nobody, we don't sit there and go, whoa, it's based on this technology and blah, blah, blah. And it was built in China because labor has migrated from the United States to China because, you know, they have cheaper and they have this great infrastructure. Nobody sits around and explains, you know, the economics, the politics, the technology of the world. We just live in the world and we just go through it. And Blade Runner, one of the reasons why Blade Runner seems so real is people don't sit there and explain the economics of the world they don't explain the politics of the world they don't explain the technology of the world and and i think sometimes people for a kind of oh, trying to grasp some kind of profundity they want to say well this is the this is going to be the work that explains this part of the world and i'm like please don't that's usually the way I <laughs> stay <good>. away <laughs> and to that point i i feel like the bet the the real question being asked isn't where how a replicants made or yeah. where do they come from? The big question is, how do we treat them more as more humanly? How do right. they inform our humanity? Right. That's right. what Blade Runner t is about to me. Yeah. To uh, the, the larger point of in terms of what fans might be nervous about. Honestly, what I really think is in play is seeing larger IPs tank with yeah. fandom because they've, they're retelling the same story again or, yeah. or we've seen this before and beloved ips or on sure. smaller no, levels course. they're taking it further i mean patrick and i right. and dan have had conversation after conversation about many different things where maybe it's fallen off the track or oh this yeah. was great but this wasn't right. great and i think in the blade runner universe people are like almost like is this the one that's gonna fall off the rails is this the yeah. one so it's 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 seeing what's happening around um fandom as a whole in terms of whether it's star wars fans or alien fans yeah, or star right. trek fans i mean is i i mean i loved discovery and it really ripped star trek fans apart people yeah right it. of course of um, course but yeah, for me right yeah it was my favorite right. iteration but you right. run that risk but and and right. and to that point i think what's amazing about 2049 is that not only did your maybe entry-level fans of Blade Runner mm -hmm. loved that film. The mm -hmm. hardcore fans loved it. The yeah, hardcore no, fans sure. were like, this was it. And part of what informs that success is that 
Denis and Michael and Hampton realized we can't tell the same story again. We have to do right. something new and we have to yeah. flip what you think yeah. you know on its head. And so yeah. people bring all of that into, okay, 13 episodes and they've right. seen two stills. Two stills were released last year. So right, we're kind right, of right, familiar right. with what it might look like and people are like, oh, oh okay. we've seen this before. So right. that's all that trepidation coming yeah. into someone posting on a, 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 a a Facebook page. I don't know about this. Yeah, no, actually, honestly, I remember because I, I distinctly remember reading the screenplay of Blade Runner 2049. It was like the most, like, it was like in going into the temple, you know, like somebody <laughs> has to watch you literally open up the screen. You have like, okay, you have two hours to read this and there's like a this one binder and you get to look at it and someone's watching over your shoulder. You know, you're not taking pictures or anything, right? Like <laughs> that's, and I've had to do that. But I had to do that with the Avengers. It's like, that's the way you do these things, right? And, and I'm reading it and you're like, gosh, is this good? It seems good. You know I mean? And you know, like you're just your first impressions of things that can betray you all the time. You're just whatever. And I remember reading a lot of the scenes with joy and a lot of, you know, the, the famous scene of joy, you know, the, the doxy joy becoming the doxy and, you know, which is an amazing scene in the movie. And I was sitting there going, gosh, this is really going in a different direction. You know, this is something different than I think of Blade Runner. And is this adding too much? Because I've always felt it was like, this is kind of super overstuffed. And is this taking Blade Runner uh, in a direction it doesn't need to go? And I think, you know, net overall, like, I think that was fine. That worked out. But I remember having distinctly, how, at least having as a fan, having that person, nobody, believe me, nobody wanted to know what, I mean, they asked me to like it. But if I'd said I wasn't sure if that was going to work, I mean, they wouldn't want to hear me. Um, but I think that what I think about is when you think about Star Trek, I think Star Trek is actually, I love Star Trek and it's a really great example. Um, so much really good Star Trek, but that sometimes Star Trek has had missteps all through it. You know what I mean? Like, like uh, there's different versions, different, there's really terrible episodes of almost Enterprise. every. Yeah, Enterprise. Well, Enterprise in general, <laughs> although there's a couple things that are decent in Enterprise, but overall, yeah, I come with you on that. But there's some terrible things in the next generation, some terrible episodes. Oh yeah, for sure. Bad ideas doesn't make any sense. And then you know, I went back and watched Voyager, and some of Voyager is actually. I never was a big fan of Voyager, but some of it's actually surprisingly good. And and I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's uh, in the movies too, like really all over the map. Some are very good, some are you know pretty bad. And um, but the thing is that the um, the strength of the concept and um, the the passion of the people, you know, that you just you you can. You can never always be perfectly, you know, on the mark about these things. But if you are, you take it seriously enough and, you know, um, you take your risks judiciously, you know, you're still going to have something there. I just, I've, I mean, I don't, I have no reason to believe that anything that we're going to do in the future for Blade Runner is going to be anything but great. But I think it'll, I know it's not going to be um crass it's not going to be like oh exploitive i mean we're just it's just not the people that are making this decision to just they just don't have that mentality you know i just i know them um they're really serious about it in in a way that i find really refreshing because i work with all kinds of people um, in games and in entertainment and it's, it runs a gamut the main complaint we are getting lately with yeah. black lotus in no, particular is the lack of publicity for it and it's right it's, it's interesting engendering yeah. a sense of like is right. this happening is this not happening oh yeah and that's okay. something that uh i think there's a lot of uh you know we're, we're in an era where a lot of things are not happening that we're expecting to happen because of right. the pandemic and because the world is like blowing up sure. constantly so so I, I think i think just speaking as a fan yeah no that's great to know fandom, that's really great to know i, I think, think it would help to hear more about it 
Yeah, I yeah, I mean, uh, I do feel like we're kind of reflexively secretive. Like that is that is our yeah. thing. I mean, it's amazing how secretive they were about twenty forty nine. I know that the the release of the anime is is far enough away that it would be totally normal. That there's not a lot you don't know a lot about this point because it's it's not coming out that soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that there are aspects of it that are probably going to inherently mean it gets a lot of attention. Probably some of the people attached to it. Um, so I think it will be okay. I mean, it's, I'm watching it too, just to be really honest with you. I mean, this is, I guess it could be on the record, but it's like, I think about it because I think about it as a, uh, do we do games based on the anime? Do we do games based on the, cause people really mostly want to make games based on the original movie because of the, just the age of the people that typically make game, you know, they grew up, they love Blade Runner and they want to go mm-hmm. to the first movie. And I'm, I kind of feel like if I waited a, a few more years, people will more start, you know, like 2049 will have a lot of those qualities where that'll be the one that people know, but it's like, I have to wait for the, the people making the games to sort of age up. Um, but I also think like the anime in some ways, um, it has certain qualities that actually would really help for a game. Like some of the, the things about the look, the look being a little stylized because it is animated, right? Um, that translates really well in games, right? It's very hard to have a game with photoreal characters, especially if they're going to talk and act. I mean, you know, you can get by with the uh, the Westwood game because that game is like 16-bit, you know, it's, it's, it's like this big, you know I mean? It's, it's a like, different time. Yeah. yeah, it's a different time. And so nobody minds, you know what I mean? It's very pixelated, nobody minds. Um, but like now you're going to have, uh, you know, um, the characters, because you know, you're always going to have cameos of characters you know, and you're going to see them and they're going to look blocky. They're going to be the uncanny valley. It's just all those kind of issues, and and I feel like I won't have those issues quite so much with the anime. So it's, you know, it's 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 something I think about, yeah, for sure. But I'm ex- I'm and I'm really just sincerely I'm excited about it. I think it's I don't I can't tell you for sure, but I think it'll probably be good. I couldn't have told you for sure. Twenty forty nine would have been good uh, the, mm-hmm. before the day before release. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I just know too because also like having done this. I mean, I could tell you so many stories because I've been. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, when I was at Disney. I went up to Disney. I went to work for Disney. They bought a company in the Bay Area. And THQ went bankrupt, right? And I, I was like, you know, Ahab. I went down with the whale on THQ. I was there for a long time. I, I like THQ. Um, and uh, yeah, and this guy I knew said, you know, I'm making these games. I need someone who's made a lot of games. You know what to do. You can work on something Star Wars or you can work on something Marvel. I promise, you know, we'll get you a real project. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to move up to the back, move back to the Bay Area. And which is hard because I have family and kids and, um, and I worked there and one of the things that came up, they said, well, Hey, how would you like to work on guardians of the galaxy? And I'm like, guardians, like, what the, what is that? I think I've <laughs> maybe read an issue of it. I don't, you know, like, Oh, it's going to be big. And people are always telling you something is going to be really big. Right. Like at THQ, we were convinced the dark tower was going to be big. We like, we were trying to decide between the dark tower license and Game of Thrones, okay? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and the people I work with were like, oh, Dark Tower, it's got Ron Howard, it's gonna be big, what is this Game of Thrones nonsense? <laughs> you know what I mean? nobody, nobody knows, right? And they were telling me how great Guardians of the Galaxy was gonna be, and I was like, mm, I don't know, I, I think I'd rather do Star Wars, you know, I'll stick with that. But um, obviously, completely wrong, right? <laughs> it's really, really hard to, um, to guess which horse is going to win the race when these things are in progress. And, and honestly, the, uh, the, the guessing from talking to the people that are involved is like 
less reliable because obviously people involved are completely biased both ways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people work on something like I, I think sometimes I work on things and I'm convinced they're going to be terrible, right? Because I see the faults. I have a lot of doubts. I wonder about things a lot. Like I said, if you had asked me about the script, I would have gone, I think it's good, but there's parts I worry about. You know, it's just, that's just my nature. Um, but then there are also people that just are really excited about everything they do. And sometimes the things they do are fabulous. And sometimes the things they do are not fabulous. You know, they just don't, it's just, it's just a, it's an attitude that people have. So you don't, you don't, you can't tell. And um, it can be really hard because, you know, especially when you're doing sometimes, especially when I was a game developer, when I was a designer or, or director of games, you, you work on a game for two years, you're, it's your whole life, two years, sometimes three years, you're desperate to know how it's going to turn out. And you, there's just no reliable signpost, you know, that people just don't, you can't tell what, you know, the people that work on it are super biased, um, you know, and it's, just, it's horrible. It's, it, you know, it makes you stomach. <laughs> I don't, you know, like, it sounds great. <laughs> no, it's awful. It's horrible. It's really awful, honestly. Um, I mean, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's a good, it's the good, that's, that's your problem. It's a good problem to have. It's like, honestly, when you guys talk about how, you know, how great Blade Runner is and do you ever worry that something will be a misstep? And it's like, you know, honestly, that gives me some anxiety, you know, <laughs> just to be really honest. I mean, but but mm -hmm. don't worry. I'm going to, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to go in tomorrow you know, renewed energy to make sure everything I do is really, really good. <laughs> uh, can, can, can we ask, and, and if you can't say, sure. you can't say, but sure. I was going to ask, because I feel like the anime has been postponed a little bit or they've, yeah. they've, so um, right now, is there a, you don't have to tell us what it is, obviously, I'm sure you can't, but is there a concrete US release date or is it still sort of in the ether? They're not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. Yet. It's like, I can't say I, yeah. I, there is, but I can't okay. say. Um, yeah, and I believe I, you know, again, I don't know the exact the what the dates were and what they are, but uh, obviously COVID had a huge impact. I mean, mm -hmm. that, that COVID had a huge impact on our company in in all kinds of ways that were really interesting. I mean, uh, we uh, obviously we we produced television. We we shot a movie. We were we were about to go shoot a movie um like the week in march right before the, the everything shut down last year and um and like they were just about to begin principal photography and then covid hit and they had to stop and then i think we did shoot the movie i think it was in uh july or august but it was obviously a lot more expensive because you know all of the covid protocols uh we had the same problems uh with the expanse right we were um we we had to shoot some of the expanse uh, last summer, and we shot some of the expanse. We're shooting the expanse now. I think they've just finished shooting the expanse um, season six, and it's really difficult because of COVID. But then it's it's also this really weird dynamic because um, COVID has made uh, movie production really and TV production really expensive and uncertain. Um, but the film, the demand for films has just been completely transformed because nobody knows if they can do a theatrical release. And our company, we really like to do films that do a theatrical release, but no one knows what that means anymore. Um, but yet there's still this huge insatiable demand from all these um, companies that want to enter the streaming wars. So there's just uh, so many companies that are desperate for us to do some kind of content for their streaming, but it's very difficult because we can't, we can't necessarily make it because you know the challenges and then at the same time too which is this might seem really strange but my business is on fire 
like video games has just had the greatest year ever. I mean, again, there'll probably be better years coming ahead, but everything we do, every deal, all the interest, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just blown up because the game business is blowing up. People are, are buying more games. People are taking games more seriously. Um, people, you know, just everyone understands now that, that games are a really important medium that are really influential. And also, by the way, people are starting to see that games are going to be the basis of linear media. So, so we, and, and that's also, by the way, part of my job is we think a lot more about, uh, games as potentially the source material for film or television, because it's like, now it's, it's part of the zeitgeist thing. Like the Witcher is class is a good example, but there's a lot of things that are made that are like really based on games and and that's you know probably only increase even more so my business is just is gone crazy you know funny way i can always tell how the video game industry is doing by how many unplayed games i have sitting in <laughs> sitting on my <laughs> ps5 there's, there's always thousands infinite, of them right there's now. an infinite number of i mean that's it's just it's it's actually also it's one of the things that's always difficult and um painful to talk to people because it, it's like it's like someone's always going to tell you maybe that they think you will have seen it you haven't seen it Games are even worse because games are such a huge commitment of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I remember when I did that first interview at Activision and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I've been, I, before that, before I went to business school, I worked in a, in a research lab and we had all these great computers and we're all nerds and we, we pirated, just to be honest, we pirated games like crazy. We had everything, you know, I thought, God, I, just, I played so many games. And, and I, my first year, the guy's like, well, tell me some games you like. And I would say, oh, I like this game, this game, this game, this game, this game, XCOM, blah, 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 you know, MechWarrior, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I did like five. He goes, Tell me some more. I go, bu, 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 you know, I, tell me some more. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and you start realizing, like, like, no, you know, people that are gonna do this, they can name 20, 25 games they liked, right? And honestly, of those 25 games, everybody's gonna have five, 10 games that they haven't played. And and that's the game business has become so broad compared to when I started. Because when I started, it was a lot about putting a, a box into a, a retail store, you know, like a, a like a you know Best Buy or some computer store or or record store, you know, and you bought it there. Now games are on your phone, games are on Steam, um, games are like um, PlayStation, but also PlayStation digitally distributed. Um, there's just there's so many ways games are made and sold. And there's so many companies that are like some of these companies are really just like basically guys in a garage in Croatia or something. And they're they're blown those games blow up. And there's, you know, thousands of teams. I think I think on Steam, somebody was saying that there's like five hundred or like a hundred five hundred games a day go onto Steam, something like that. It's, oh, wow. it's nuts. I mean, most of them are nothing <laughs> that you wouldn't bother with, but but it's crazy. crazy. I mean, there's like more games than books or something. You know, honestly, it's it's a crazy world, right? But it's good because there's so much opportunity. I mean, I'm not I'm not complaining, but it I I'm constantly feeling like I don't. I don't know enough about what's going on. It's really difficult for me. What podcasts I listen to are like, I listen to game podcasts and technology podcasts because it's the only way I can keep up with enough of what's getting made, mm -hmm. honestly. Like, mm -hmm. like I have to hear about it a lot of times. It's, it's kind of, it's unfortunate sometimes. But also there's a flood of new podcasts, especially last year. So figuring out what's good and what you want to listen to is just as much a job right. as anything right. else. Right, that's another so. thing. It's just blown up. Yeah, it's obviously, mm -hmm. but that's kind of cool in a way too because I think it's obviously means it's the future. And mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that that whole thing is, that growth has just begun for that too as well. 
Well, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, it's been probably about an hour and 20 minutes so far. We are really honored to have you on the oh, show. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, again, uh, it's a long time coming. Thank you so much. Uh, I, but before we uh, let go, what are you working on or what are there exciting things that maybe are coming out this year that you can say you're working on now? What does the future oh. look like for you in the in the short term? I am working on games based on The Expanse, and I know that they're going to be very exciting, but probably none of them will be announced until next year because games, again, game development time is really long. We have been working for a while on a Blade Runner mobile game, which will be a little unusual and different for a lot of people, but I think it's going to be very good for what it is. And it may uh, may be coming out in the fall. We'll see. You know, there's a lot of testing that's involved in that. We also do have some Blade Runner projects that are going to come out, but they'll probably, again, they probably won't be announced until next year. But I think they'll be really exciting, really good. Well, I just want to say, you know, we continually have this experience on this podcast. You know, it's been three years now, or going on four <laughs> years, where we, you know, we finally get this breakthrough interview with somebody who's working on a Blade Runner project. And we have this feeling that's like a huge sigh of relief because that person is such a fan and they're so passionate and they're so deeply invested in it. Yeah. And it's just, I, I love that. I love that feeling. And I love that we've gotten to enjoy that many times. And this tonight, this is the first time we've actually spoken with somebody at Alcon. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. The, yeah. So you're, you're our inaugural <laughs> well, Alcon guest. Were they, they're super secretive. I mean, they feel like, <laughs> it's very secretive. They don't, like to, they don't like to talk about anything, you know, like just be honest. Right. But, yeah. oh, I'm telling you, you would, you would, the smartest people and just incredible integrity and incredible passion. Seriously. I mean, I've, I've worked all kinds of places and I just, I love that company, honestly, really do. Well, it shines through what you've told us tonight. And and, and again, this is an experience that I'm having where I'm going, ah, oh, this is in good hands. This is really mm -hmm. in good hands. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're all just extremely excited again, you know, with the anime series, with upcoming projects, these are things that we're not skeptical about. We're just excited for, we just can't wait. And, oh, and, and it's great that they are in such capable, passionate, truly fan hands in, yeah. in your stead, George. Well, so I'll be looking you. to forward to listening to what your impressions are and your takes on these things. And if you guys ever have any questions or anything, you know, just reach out. And I love to talk about this stuff too. So it's great to hear about it. Fantastic. Definitely. Thank you, so much, thank George. you George. It was, yeah. it was thank you. Thank you very much. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.